A good king is the voice of a nation, but what happens when that voice is silenced? King George's sixth struggle with stuttering was immortalized in the Oscar-winning film The King's Speech. Although George reigned in the 1940s and 50s, stuttering hadn't even begun to be understood at the biological level until the past decade. Make some popcorn, because today we have a very special guest to break down the man, the movie, and the myths that have persisted around stuttering to this very day. Welcome to a very special edition of Uneasy Lies the Crown. We have a co-host today with us um, who I met the old-fashioned way on uh, Twitter DMs. (laughs) We have (laughs) Vanessa Grass. Welcome to the show. Hello. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I love the podcast. I, I, like Stephanie, have a weird obsession with Henry VIII. I don't know what that says about me. Um. I haven't figured out what it says about me either. Um, I don't think it's anything good from the feedback that I've gotten. But yeah, people didn't love that from us. (laughs) But okay, Vanessa, would you tell the people a little bit about who you are and how we ended up working together on this episode? Yes, absolutely. So um, I have a little science communication uh, platform. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, you call do. It. <laughs> it's not little uh, either. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, where I look at the neuroscience in like mostly like sci-fi movies. So this is a new one, uh, like a historical movie. I I kind of like this one better though because I will say it it's more real to life. Because right. a common trope in uh, sci-fi movies is like you can just do things at like lightning speed with the brain, you know, mm, like the Matrix. Right. You just like plug in, all of a sudden you learn kung fu. Right. Um, <laughs> <It's only>. <laughs> <laughs> but this one had a lot. This movie we're going to talk about has like a lot of trials and tribulations, and is a little bit more true to life about how the brain works. <laughs> yes, yeah, love so that. your podcast is neuroscience theater TikTok. Yes. Tick and TikTok. Yes, I'm on TikTok, Instagram. Yep. I've got my Twitter. I have a uh, uh, 12 people following me on YouTube. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Listening, follow me on YouTube. <laughs> um, We're gonna yeah. get that number up. So, how yeah. did neuroscience theater begin? What was your inspiration? It began in my. I was doing a master's program in cognitive neuroscience and was really seeing a lot of parallels with one of my most most favorite movies um eternal sunshine of the spotless mind Mm -hmm. and we had just done um like a a a section on memory and talked about these wild experiments with actually deleting specific memories in mice you know through like optogenetic magic Mm -hmm. and that really had me coming back to the movie and thinking hey some of these movies are weirdly possible um, with the the wild stuff going on nowadays, especially like I'm really fascinated with optogenetics. That movie doesn't get into optogenetics, but um, that is kind of possible through optogenetics. Can you give a little uh, background for our audience on optogenetics? And I will say that this was, I think, the first talk that I heard about neuroscience when I was an undergrad was 
uh, one of the grad students who worked on this project at Harvard. I know the study you're talking about. Super cool. So yeah, I know tell people a little bit about that. Yeah, I usually tell represent Stephanie the about it. I know nothing. <laughs> yes. So optogenetics <laughs> is basically like genetically manipulating mice. I mean, you can. I guess mm-hmm. you can genetically okay. manipulate anything, but mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we don't do that for ethical reasons. Yeah, we should. Um, <laughs> but uh, you like splice into their DNA um, like proteins that are sensitive to light. And then you can essentially turn on like any gene by like putting a light into their brain. Wow. Um, so, so they'll like cut a little section into the mice's skull and put like a laser (laughs) the researchers will put a laser in there and like at a flip of a switch you can turn on a gene and then it will you know produce different proteins that are involved with like for example memory but i mean it's been used in like all sorts of different research memory is just one aspect so yeah so what are some of the quickly what are some of the movies that you've highlighted in your work other than the your favorite that you just mentioned. Yeah. So Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, great movie. Everyone should check it out. Um, I've also looked at um The Matrix, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> um man, I'm like blanking now. Um inside the out latest one was Predator too. Oh, sorry. Yes, I did. Um, so I looked at Predator, uh, which was inspired by Prey. Yeah. Uh, it just came out on Hulu. That's great. Definitely yeah. recommend Prey. That was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I looked at Predator. I found this amazing like analysis from an MIT trained vision scientist. And he went into like the whole vision system in the Predator movies. Um, it wow, was so it cool. Was yeah, it was a great I'm a big sci fi fan. So I, I like that a lot of your inspiration. And I don't know if you, I mean, you have a lot going on, so you might not have time to do a lot of reading, but um, there's one movie that it's a book that I just read that I know, I think it's been picked up for a movie, maybe on Netflix. So keep an eye out. Um, it's called Recursion by Blake Crouch. Oh, okay. so it's, um, yeah, it's a, it's about like this neuroscientist who this is going to be really, it's probably gonna be really confusing, but basically um, <laughs> she creates a way to like go back and um, re- relive memories. So you go back to like the time of that memory and you can start a new timeline from that memory and live that. Oh. But at some point the timelines catch up and people like start basically going crazy because they don't know yeah. which timeline is real <laughs> or not. So anyway, it's very interesting. Are were you going crazy? I think I would go crazy. I was getting I was going crazy because at first I was like, oh, this is so interesting. And then I, I got to the point where I was like, I know this is sci-fi, but like now this is just like unrealistic. But <laughs> oh um, yeah. <laughs> I mean that's yeah, at some point people are gonna try stuff like that. So that sounds really cool. That's a book you said? It is by Blake Crouch, yes. It kind um, of reminds and, me of um, everything, everything, everywhere, all at once. Did you guys see that? Yeah, I just saw that recently. That was funny. I, the, for some reason, the the one thing that popped in my head when you said that, though, was if people haven't seen this, you should see the movie. It was really good. But the Amazon description for the movie is like a middle aged immigrant, like has trouble paying her taxes, which is like totally not. <laughs> 
what the movie is about. I saw that on Twitter, like someone posted that. And I was like, that is the worst synopsis. Yeah, (laughs) so bad. Um, But speaking of being unrealistic, Vanessa, it's one of my pet peeves when there's like a really laughable use of science as a major plot point in movies. So are there any movies that come to mind where neuroscience is just botched and it becomes unwatchable for you? Yeah. So, okay. I mean, I kind of take like a very like bullish stance Mm. in my, on my content, but yeah, a lot of the movies are, they're like just completely preposterous. Right. I would say the one that's probably the most preposterous that I've done is Avatar. Um, Oh God. Just the idea that a human can transpose their consciousness into an alien body. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then like they try to explain it that the alien was genetically modified to like be similar to the human right. and has like part of his DNA. And it's like, this doesn't, this probably would not work. <laughs> and yet we need a sequel. Yeah. Thank you, James There's Cameron. There's a sequel coming out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> My I gosh. Do without it. Pass. Thanks. Yeah. For me, it was recently I watched um, Black Widow and I am not, I haven't watched that many Marvel movies, but the the villain in it created a pheromone lock where like if you smelled him, you couldn't get anywhere near him. And we don't have working pheromone receptors people. So Um, I don't understand that movie for a lot of reasons. I think you texted me that uh, because I thought Black Widow was good and you texted me that. I was like, it's Marvel. Don't don't think too much well, about it. Don't ruin Tom, it. My husband, when he watched it, he was just complaining about Florence Pugh's Russian accent. And I was like, okay, don't come for her because <laughs> yeah, exactly. she's flawless. So we had different issues with that movie. Um, yeah. Okay. But what movie are we talking about today? Yeah. So today we're actually going to uh, talk about a movie that isn't that far-fetched because it's based on a true story and a real person and no aliens are involved. Uh, so today we're going to talk about <laughs> Helena Bonham Carter might be an alien. I'm not sure. Okay. Fair point. Fair point. Yeah, we're not her, sure. reach, her reach is unbelievable. Truly. Uh, so we're talking about the King's speech um, mm-hmm. came out about what, 10 ish years, years ago, ago, I think, yeah. although it feels like a lot uh, more recent um, starring Colin Firth, my boy, Colin. And um, it, it is about um, George the sixth. So we're going to talk about uh, that movie because um, in the movie and in, in real life, and we'll get a little bit into this, George VI had um, a very significant stutter. And when uh, Riley came to me with the idea for this one, Vanessa, when we linked up with you, um, I think my first question was like, what does that have to do with neuroscience? Like it didn't even cross my mind that a stutter would be something I mean, now that I have learned a bit more about it, it makes sense. So yeah, um, I think a lot of our listeners will probably be in the same camp as that. But a little bit of background about George. Um, he was actually born Albert. Um, his family called him Bertie. Uh, I learned that from the movie and turns out that's real. Um, he was born on <laughs> December 14th of 1895. Um, his, he was the second son of George V. So what's interesting about that is our listeners should know, you know, like the second sons weren't really raised to be kings. Um, Obviously they had, they had royal duties, um, but it was never really um, going to be in his future 
that he would be king, but he had an older brother, Edward, um, who had kind of a conflict of the heart. He was in love with a woman, an American actress, how scandalous, Mm. um, who had been, had been divorced multiple times. She was an American socialite and Edward loved the heck out of her so much that he decided he would rather abdicate the throne. He was on the throne for about a year, probably a little less. He would rather abdicate uh, than be without her, Wallace Simpson. And so uh, I he thought did, we were talking yeah. about Meghan Markle. <laughs> Listen, I don't need. <laughs> I could take another hour. I'll go to bat for Meghan. We don't have. I time. will too. I will too. You know this. Um, Same here. Yes. Yeah, I will good. say I was like weirdly uh, when I watched this. I was I got this weird obsession with Wallace Simpson. I was right. Myself, yeah. Like looking at her. I was like, wait, no, no, neuroscience. What am I doing? <laughs> right. No, I mean, it's she must legit. have been quite the woman. Yeah. I think I did a project on her when I was like 11. I don't know how or why, but um, all I learned was a lot of really inappropriate rumors that went around about yep. her at the time. So yeah. I couldn't use any of that for my project. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, that's the kind of stuff that was going around about her. I mean, other than being, you know, a commoner and being a divorcee, you know, all of the kind of company that she kept and the parties and the people that she was supposedly sleeping with. So all of this. Um, obviously didn't make her a great candidate for his wife. And so when he abdicated, that meant that um, Albert um, was king. And so he took the name George VI. And um, he had, uh, I'll talk a little bit about why that wasn't ideal for him, but um, our listeners would know um, George better as the father of the current queen. Mm-hmm. So he had two children. He had two daughters, Elizabeth and Margaret. And um, what's interesting about the way that he inherited the throne is that he was the first king in British history whose predecessor was alive. So obviously most kings uh, became that way because someone died to make them become that. In this case, um, you know, the person who was supposed to be King was alive. So that was awkward for George, um, that, and the fact that, um, as we alluded to, he had a very intense stutter and, uh, it was something that <clears throat> he struggled with since he was very young. I think I've read, you know, f- between five and eight is when he developed the stutter. And, um, obviously this is not deal for someone whose job it was to be in the spotlight. So um, in addition to that, it was already a really difficult time to be a monarch in England and in Europe um, in general. So this was coming up on World War II. And um, so he he was king during that time, took a significant toll on his health. Um, And he ended up dying in 1952. Um, he had a, he was 56 years old. He had a, a lung surgery, some complications after that. He, he had lung cancer and, and some oh. other health issues. Um, so of course, when his, when he died, uh, Queen Elizabeth, the queen that we have current monarch of Great Britain, uh, became uh, queen. And uh, that's where we are now in terms of the, his family's history. And so I'll talk a little bit more about, after we talk about the movie, about Um, kind of the fallout or kind of the significance of having a stutter in that period of time. 
um, why it was more difficult for him than maybe other monarchs of his time. Um, but mm-hmm. Riley, I think you're going to set us up a little bit about uh, the neuroscience behind stuttering and why this is something that we're going to cover today. Yeah, I'm very lucky to have Vanessa here to help me with this topic because there's a lot of really cool stuff. And um, like you said, Stephanie, I think a lot of people don't realize or think of stuttering as something related to the brain. Um, And I think this was a super fascinating topic to research because I actually had to be really careful with my literature searches. I don't know if you experienced the same, Vanessa, but if you pull up a paper from 2012, it'll be like wrong because like all of this, uh, neurological underpinnings, these are all new findings. So we'll all kind of start with the clinical definition and then Vanessa will get into the neurobiology and what we know now, but to give you a straight up definition, stuttering is defined uh, by the national Institute of deafness and other communication disorders as a speech disorder characterized by repetition of sounds, syllables, or words, the prolongation of sounds and interruptions in speech known as blocks. So what that practically looks like, and you can see it in the movie, I think it's really remarkable, the acting Colin Firth did to kind of mimic this. And I watched some clips of the real King George um, and it's spot on, but uh, repeating parts of words, dragging out sounds, Um, and then having these extended blocks, like you're trying to say a word, but struggling to get it out, which I think is what was most notable with King George's speech. Um, there's two forms today. We'll be talking about the developmental form. So this starts in children, but stuttering can also be the result of things like strokes or traumatic brain injuries. And, um, I wanted to just point out that this is an issue with speech production, not speech processing. So there's other disorders where um, people have difficulty understanding language. This we're focusing on the actual production of the speech. Uh, And then there's some other interesting facets of stuttering where um, I think this is gotten at in the movie where in certain situations, the stuttering can be less obvious. Like if you're speaking in unison in a group, for example, or when you're doing things like singing, which was part of King George's therapy. Mm -hmm. Some people who stutter also have repetitive movements like blinking and lip tremor, which I think fits in with the kind of neurobiological story that Vanessa is going to tell us. And then uh, because some people aren't familiar with stuttering being something to actually having to do with the brain. I just wanted to bring in the fact that this is something that's characterized in the DSM five, which we've talked extensively about on the show. So uh, in there it's known as a child onset fluency disorder. Hmm. And in the most recent edition of the DSM, they added some criteria, which they've done with a lot of disorders, but one of the diagnostic criteria is that you have to have anxiety or distress as the result of your symptoms. So this kind of distinguishes it from normal disfluencies, like saying, um, or, er, which I'm sure I've done a thousand times so far this episode, because (laughs) those are just normal. They have to do more with actually planning what you're saying rather than trying to produce it. Uh, And as far as the prevalence, we're talking about 1% of the population, uh, although in 
younger kids. So around preschool, it's, I saw estimates between four and 5%. So this is affecting about 3 million people in the U S and then I just wanted to hit on some risk factors. So who does stuttering affect? It's more common in boys, three to five times more likely, which is super interesting. And there's a variety of factors that will determine whether you stutter your whole life or whether you grow out of it. Because like I said, 5% of preschoolers will stutter, but then only 1% of the adult population. So these include if you have a family history of stuttering, as well as the length of stuttering and when your stuttering started. So Stephanie mentioned that George started stuttering. I read around seven years old, but you said five to eight. Um, and then he started. I nailed it. You, yeah, you did. I you it. caught that range. Yeah. Um, <laughs> he started seeing Lionel Logue at age 30. So we're talking about like 20 years of stuttering. So yeah. not only did he start stuttering pretty late, but he had been dealing with it for a while. So that is obviously one that's not going to go away. And then just one more thing that people thought was a risk factor that I thought was interesting. They mentioned this in the movie was handedness. So George mentioned, yeah, yeah, that he was left-handed and his, he was forced to write with his right hand. Um, and this was really common because people associated left-handedness with mental defects. Yeah. Yeah, Like every problem, like you're a serial killer. (laughs) Yeah. You were possessed. I don't know, like terrible. Um, I don't know. I've met a few lefties. makes you wonder, but anyways, (laughs) there, uh, I did want to look into this because there was extensive research in the 1920s through the 1950s from the University of Iowa. Oh, I came across that. Yep. Yeah. yeah, These professors, I guess, found anecdotally, well, more than anecdotally, but in their experience with patients, they saw that a lot of patients with stuttering had been forced to write with their right hand when they were left. And then if Mm -hmm. they switched back to left, their stuttering would improve. so this isn't hasn't been replicated, but um, I think Vanessa, you're probably going to talk about like connectivity in the brain and um, hemispheric dominance. So just something to keep in mind, like maybe there is something here, um, and you know, I think a lot of the thinking in the movie about stuttering in the 1940s is pretty outdated, but that's something that actually might still be relevant. So I thought it was interesting. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, uh, Vanessa, what is going on in the brain in stuttering and what is going on in the movie with stuttering? What did you find? Yeah. The movie, I mean, doesn't really get into like what we're going to call modern day neuroscience because they didn't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Like in 1935, you know, they didn't have MRI. They probably had EEG. I believe that was first discovered then. But it turns out Birdie's speech uh, therapist, Lionel Logue, wasn't really even technically a doctor. He's actually an Australian actor who in World War One, uh, I guess, worked with a lot of like traumatized uh, soldiers I, I didn't like really make that connection in the movie, like why they had speech impediments or, mm-hmm. or speech issues. I don't know if you either of you got that, but in any event, that's yeah. where he like perfected his 
uh, speech therapy isn't working. It sounded like then, it was like a PSD issue, PTSD yeah, issue. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think that makes a lot of sense with even just showing his treatments. They're a little bit more like psychological based. I mean, I think the movie definitely makes like a case for that. This is more psychological than like a, like they refer to it as like a mechanical issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think by the end of the movie, it sort of portrays it as like, this was more psychological than mechanical. Sure. Um, but I think like some of the, the movie opens up with a, a really interesting treatment with uh, Birdie's, like one of his other speech therapists that, was not working at all and this speech therapist had him put like a bunch of marbles in his mouth which I thought was hilarious but then the this speech therapist mentions um I had to look this guy up Demosthenes Demosthenes it's some like uh, Greek orator who apparently also had a stutter and he would put pebbles in his mouth and he would recite his speeches loudly with the ocean in the background, um, which sort of like foreshadows uh, what uh, Lionel Logue does with Bertie in his first session with him, where he has him speak, uh, speak Hamlet, but he's like listening to, I think it's Mozart, like really blaring yeah. loudly in his ears. And I actually looked up if that's like, act like, can actually help and there has been some research that um blocking the auditory feedback in stutterers temporarily um lets them speak fluently and i thought that was thought that was very interesting and so interesting yeah i thought that's interesting too because since it worked so well i mean in the movie it worked well that first time i was like why don't they just do that every time he has to like go on the radio and do a speech (laughs) yeah (laughs) and that's a real movie go ahead (laughs) Riley. oh i was gonna say um i i vanessa recommended a documentary on amazon um and for some reason it was blocked in my area but i watched another one and that they played that recording like that was a real thing that he did was read that part of hamlet with mozart playing and it was wild like how fluent he was yeah yeah, but apparently the it's only temporary and like after a while the stutter like just blaring music forever doesn't fix the stutter it just does it temporarily. Um, but this is like, you know, ongoing research still looking into this which um was really interesting. But then like I think some of the the better treatments in the movie was first of all um Lionel Logue recommends not smoking. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> yes. Um Amazing. And I mean, it's sad because like we find out he, he dies, dies of lung cancer. Lung cancer yeah. So too late. Yeah, because his in his initial speech therapist had said smoking is like calming the nerves and giving him confidence, which is crazy. But I mean, we do see him smoking a lot in the movie, but we see a lot of people smoking in the movie. But I, I mean, I think we can all agree that smoking is probably not the cure for stuttering. Yes. Um, <laughs> something else. Also crazy I came across is that uh, this is not related to the movie, but in the early 1920s, they actually, there was some research where people's tongues were removed. Stutterers' tongues were removed in the search of a cure. I just- Well, then they can't talk at all. They can't really talk at all, no. And they can't (laughs) eat ice cream. (laughs) The stutter's gone, but- Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, But to, to some of the, like, more- 
fruitful things that we saw in the movie. Um, I think like you had mentioned Riley singing. Um, singing actually has been shown in a different uh, in different neurological disorders, like even Parkinson's to help mm -hmm. with um, smoother movements and like singing and dancing because uh, Lionel Logue has uh, Birdie doing that. Like in, the, in one of the final speeches, he's like coaching him throughout. It's, it's very cute. I would say this movie's like a bromance in a way, it, more than yes. anything. It's very much <laughs> a Like a low-key romance. I say that in the <laughs> nicest way possible. Yes. Um, but yeah, like you mentioned, there is also this 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 talk of like the hemispheres his right his sorry his left-handedness and being forced to write with his right hand i think they're also trying to make a bit of like a genetic tie because he had mentioned his brother his younger brother had died of epilepsy mm -hmm. which i thought was very interesting um because i think some of the more modern research has this link to dopamine um mm -hmm. stuttering and we know that dopamine is like involved in movements and possibly in epilepsy. I mean, I'm not, I don't really know all the neuroscience behind epilepsy, but that I thought that was really interesting. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I yeah. didn't know that. Um, I didn't know that about his brother until, uh, until we watched, I think he died at 12. I think I read 12 or 13. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah that's what they said in the movie. Um, but yeah, so and I was speaking to the fact like that it's more predominant in men than over women. I guess this is just there's not really like any I mean honestly like not stuttering is still not well understood at all from mm -hmm. what I understand. And like these Iowa studies about the handedness have not been to me all that was like inconclusive. Um, yes. So yeah. I was like I don't know. But we 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 do know that speech production is um, predominantly in the left hemisphere, you know, you've got Wernicke's area, Broca's area in the left hemisphere. Uh, some research I've shown that women have better lateralization across hemispheres. So mm -hmm. like maybe that area is affected in some women, but then they compensate with the right side. We mm -hmm. see that in women that have strokes, you know, they recover faster than men, especially with speech. So I think that kind of all adds up in a way, but then there is this dopamine. I think there is something with dopamine. And also very interestingly, there's been some genetic studies where researchers have knocked out certain genes in mice and have had the mice produce a stutter. I didn't really know mice like made. I think you vocalization. said that. Did you tell me that Riley? No, no, no. She, Vanessa told us. Oh, you did. You told us. Pre-planning meeting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. 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 That was fascinating <laughs> I, to me. Yeah, I did not know mice made vocalizations to the level that could like produce a stutter. <laughs> and it, I mean, it's, it's like weirdly cute, but horrible too. I don't know. Yeah, yeah that um, was, I, I was reading about that um, study after you mentioned it. And it is really interesting. I, I uh, So I guess there's like a few genes that have been identified through like different families and countries where like inter like inter intra family marriages are more common um of course in breeding we always have to mention it um but these genes are like expressed in a ton of cells a lot of them have to do with like removing waste from cells yeah and it's really 
I, I mean, I think a lot of doubt has been cast on the results because it's like, how is this producing a stutter? Because it's just so localized. Um, but it's interesting to me because you mentioned dopamine and we mentioned Parkinson's, like these genes that are important for removing waste are being more and more shown to be important in neurodegeneration because neurons like have are really active and you have to get rid of all these byproducts. So is that something going on? And then I also read about a lot of research. Oh, go ahead. Like that's sort of some of your research, isn't it? You like glial. Yeah. Yeah. Glial research. So one thing um, is also the connectivity. So you mentioned the left hemisphere is more dominant for language, but the there's motor areas also that you have to coordinate with. So there's language areas and there's these motor areas. And I guess from imaging studies, it seems like there's less communication between those two in stutterers. um, And that tends to be across the hemispheres. So I guess in these, in another genetic model of these mice, they found like less astrocytes, which are a support cell in the corpus callosum, which connects the two hemispheres. So then it's like, oh, are these cells stressed and then we aren't getting good communication. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, it's really interesting, this kind of failed connectivity or lack of engagement between the two areas. Yeah. yeah you yeah. guys are really nerding out here. Totally. Yeah. I love having someone who's interested in <laughs> so what I have to say, have Stephanie. <laughs> Sorry, Stephanie. I will, I will say, speaking of this corpus callosum, I also read <laughs> that in stutterers, it's been shown to be thicker. Oh, which is kind of interesting and, and kind of speaks to that lack of connectivity because, you know, if it's thicker, I would imagine might be less connectivity or harder. Well, yeah, the, the one thing about the handedness studies I was reading is that it, you you mentioned like in women, there's more flexibility, um, like they might be able to better adapt to damage to the left hemisphere, but it seems like uh, one of the hypotheses with stuttering is that you have less specialization. So instead of just the left brain, those language areas being activated, it's like highly distributed. And then having like activity throughout the brain means that the speech is less effectively produced. So maybe, yeah. you know, if you have a really thick corpus Callosum. I don't. That seems weird to me. But like, you have less <laughs> specialization of those language areas and like hyper connectivity. So then those regions aren't synced. Yeah. I don't oh, know. Yeah. That I mean, definitely. totally. Especially with the dopamine like factor too. You know, because we see yeah. that. Or for the record, I always am interested in what you're saying, and I care. I just have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. Please ask questions. Sorry. We nerded out for a good few minutes. I appreciate that. I do want to bring it back to the movie though, just because, um, I, I did see that, um, documentary, the, Mm. um, yeah. Vanessa, you talked about, I think it's called George the sixth, the man behind the King's speech. I found it on YouTube. Um, but it had a lot of the recordings, actual like live recordings, from his from his speeches um which was interesting because obviously like any movie it it probably takes a lot of liberties with facts um and I think the point of the movie ended up like you said being that bromance on about it was about like the relationship between George and his speech therapist 
Um, but there are some things that are actually very accurate, including like Colin First's portrayal of the stutter and even like the voice when you listen to the actually oh yeah the actual he's recordings. so great in this it's amazing in this role. yeah yeah and and I'm sure you saw in that documentary how he talked about like there's millions of voice coaches and therapists that work with people to get rid of a stutter but there's like no coaches to help you have a stutter yeah right so he had to like learn he had to learn learn how to have a stutter for this movie um but I think he said that the director or the producer of the movie actually grew up with a stutter so yeah like leaned on him a lot for that I mean other than the fact that Colin Firth is an amazing actor he clearly had to put a lot of work into it um so it's definitely worth a watch I felt like that one was great too I think it was funny because I think the director actually asked, um, is it, was it Queen Victoria? No. Who was married to Bertie? The Queen Mother Elizabeth. Okay. So he had to ask her for permission to make the movie, but then I guess she lived to like a hundred or something. Yeah. Uh, She said, don't, she said, don't make it while I'm alive. Yeah. While she's alive. But then she lived. They had to wait forever. (laughs) Yeah. That's so funny. (laughs) <laughs> something in the genes with the women in that family because Elizabeth's know, going strong know, right? too. They're, they're um, great. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, in terms of and and they do portray this, I think, pretty well when we when we talk about like why is it significant historically that George had a stutter. Um, you, you, it's like a pretty compared to some of the things that we discuss on on a podcast is pretty like harmless in terms of obviously it was difficult for him and embarrassing and frustrating and all these things. But, you know, once it became clear that he was King, you know, not only does he have to represent the Royal family, make speeches and stuff, but this was the age of the radio Yeah, where in the thirties radio was invented and they were expected to give these speeches that would be in every home across the country. And, and sometimes probably across Europe because and people didn't have TVs. They weren't doing anything else at night. Like they were going to listen to their king and what he had to say. So, you know, that was difficult. And then on top of the fact that he was the king during World War II. And so his presence, his voice is a hundred times more important to his people. Um, you know, they're going to need to hear from him every night to have, you know, some confidence and consolation through all the things that they're going through. And obviously it's like a purpose. On the, yeah. Yeah. It's insane. Like he, it was probably like worst nightmare. It could not be, have been a worse time for a King to have a stutter really. And then, you know, later they started putting things on TV. So it's just like this whole thing. And um, yeah, the last thing you want to hear from your radio is, you know, someone stuttering through a big, important war speech. Um, but with the work that he was able to do with his coach and to get through those speeches, you know, he, people really, they, they liked him. They loved him before, but he really became like a a symbol of strength for the country throughout the war, um, through those speeches. And you can kind of hear, I think they do, I can't remember if it's a documentary or the movie, but they talk about, um, you can hear in his speeches that he has to take pauses to kind of mm-hmm. gather himself, which kind of ended up being in his favor because you're talking about these kind of really sad things that are going on. Um, so it kind of like played into uh, 
the topics of his talks anyway. So, um, I mean, he definitely made the most of his situation. Like I said, like these were things that, that monarchs for hundreds of years, if they had stutters, didn't have to worry about. I mean, everything was through letters um, and Mm -hmm. no one, (laughs) he could have, you know, not spoken to anyone and it wouldn't have mattered. Um, Yeah. It was like a perfect storm. Cause then his older brother's like, listen, I'm not, I don't want to be King. I met this American chick. Um, It's you you, buddy. Sorry about your stutter, but right. Exactly. Gotta do it for love. (laughs) Right. And I think it's worth, we've talked about in the past, I think like in um, our episode on Alexander Romanov, like the expectations on Royal families was that they were supposed to be perfect, right? And especially at this time, people didn't understand stuttering. So many times it was thought to either be like the product of poor parenting or like even um, that you had a mental illness, like that there was something really wrong with you, like, um, or a weakness. So for the king to have a stutter like actually could be pretty scandalous and they they like make the archbishop of canterbury in the movie kind of like the villain but the documentary i watched he actually was because he i mean yes it is the era of the radio but before being king like very few people would have seen him speak publicly so people Mm -hmm. didn't know he had a stutter but when his brother abdicated then the archbishop went on the BBC radio and told everyone that Bertie had a stutter and he was pissed because it made him him look weak. And like people already were upset that, you know, the charismatic brother was no longer going to be their King. Um, Yeah. So it, it, like you said, Steph, it's not the most threatening of conditions that we've covered, but it's a big deal that he had this and, he you know dealt with it so publicly and the documentary I watched also interviewed other of Logue's patients and they talk about like how much of an inspiration he was and they even like show one of his speeches and one of the guys like starts crying because like for the king to be seeing the same doctor he is and right you know giving people strength through the war with the stutter is I think really important representation and all while not even being technically a doctor which Vanessa you talked about yeah he he relied on actual um experience Mm -hmm. with with people as opposed to you know what was just in the books because I think if he had done that I don't think they would have gotten anywhere he clearly no I mean think outside the box they would have been putting like Even that one guy was putting marbles in the mouth. Although it worked with the work for the Greek guy, apparently. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they were ahead of their time. <laughs> but yeah, I think for me, like I felt like it was really Lionel Logue's like friendship and mm-hmm. almost like being like another father and brother. Because yeah, I think like research has shown that it's not the result of like parenting per se, but it certainly in the movie like King George V's parenting wasn't helping the stutter. Um, mm-hmm. He was a bit, he was a bit nasty. And then like his brother was making fun of him at times. And I felt like Lionel sort of took on like, you know, like in therapy, 
playing out like, no, I'm like your dad and we're going to work it. We're going to work this out. And right. <laughs> it's not as bad yeah. as you think. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah certainly it didn't help it. it, whether or not it contributed to it. I'm not, I can't say, but it, like you said, that the, the whole establishment of the Royal family and Brits in general, like they're not, you know, there's no room for emotion. There's no room for friends. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, very, he said, it's serious business. He didn't have any of that. So it, it, all of these factors definitely didn't help his journey along the way. No, no. Yeah. I mean, cause he says in the movie, like he, he didn't have any friends. Yeah. I and mean, at the very least, we, like it would help his mental health a little bit, which just helps overall health. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That actually transitions well into, I did a little research on, you know, do we do anything differently in speech therapy for stutter since then? And off the top, like the types of techniques that Logue was using are still helpful because with lifelong stutterers, you know, we talk about this stuttering isn't caused by anxiety or a mental illness, but going through life, like not being able to get your words out. And I think in a society where we're so driven by communication, like people can start to think that your inner experience is not as valid because you can't express it. Right. So that does produce a lot of anxiety. So things like speech therapy of just practicing breathing can reduce that anxiety and help stuttering, or at least their confidence, which is a huge part of it. And um, support groups are also uh, really key in boosting self-esteem and giving a sense of community. And then in terms of kind of some more modern advances, uh, there are a lot of electronic devices. So we talked about that Greek orator um, using the ocean <laughs> behind him to kind of decrease his auditory feedback. But there's little devices that you can put in like a hearing aid and uh, they can either slow down. Um, so the person speaking, but they'll hear themselves kind of slowed down, or maybe it'll sound like another person is speaking along with them or with a metronome. So the metronome will just be going in their ear, which I think would be psychological torture, but mm -hmm. all of those <laughs> things can uh, reduce stuttering. So there's one called speech easy. And in the clinical trial in 2013, Basically what it's doing is it's slowing down or delaying the time for auditory feedback. So you'll talk and then there's a delay, then you hear yourself and it's also shifting the frequency. And in adult men, this reduced stuttering by four syllables for every hundred syllables spoken. So pretty cool. Um, kind of like a modern take on an ancient technique, I suppose. Yeah. And then uh, there's also transcranial stimulation. So uh. this is where you put <laughs> electrodes on the scalp and um, you're just putting weak electrical currents that will travel through to the brain. And the idea is that these currents are boosting your neuronal activity, which uh, you can pair along with some sort of external stimulus. So to try and like boost the efficacy of a treatment. So what these people were doing was kind of traditional speech therapy and then getting a shock or not a shock, oh geez, a current to their speech production areas. And 
people who did this after just a week, they had a 4% reduction in syllable disfluency. So mistakes compared to people who just had the electrodes on their scalp, but they weren't doing it. Um, and, and, and four, four percent is that decrease. worth all of that? Oh, interesting question, Ooh, Stephanie. Thank you. <laughs> um, so actually, can I circle back to that? Cause there's one more treatment. Do yeah. You want. Okay, great. Sure. Uh, yeah. I'm in control. Um, <laughs> then this last one is kind of, I don't know on the fringe, but there's a doctor, a psychiatrist, Dr. Gerald McGuire, no relationship to Jerry famous <laughs> agent, Jerry McGuire. Yeah. I checked. <laughs> um, he's from UC Riverside and he actually himself has had a stutter. And if you read articles about him, I guess he like really wanted to be a vet and he tried to go to a vet clinic as a teenager to like get a job just cleaning cages. And he, his stutter was so bad. He couldn't ask. So he didn't get the job and he was like, I'm going to do something. So he became a psychiatrist and has been giving himself antipsychotic drugs um, Mm. for decades to improve his speech. And now he's doing clinical trials. So this goes back to what Vanessa was saying about dopamine. So imaging studies have suggested that people with stuttering have too much dopamine signaling. Um, so he uses these antipsychotic drugs to block dopamine receptors. And uh, this isn't super popular because these drugs have a lot of side effects. Yeah, but how's that working for him? He, yeah. well, he's now testing a new generation antipsychotic. So this is more selective. It only blocks like a certain type of dopamine receptor. So it has less side effects. Um, and it's in like preclinical studies for Tourette's. And things yeah, like I came that. Across that. Yeah. Did you? Yeah. Like it's like Echo Papam or something. Echo Papam, Echo Papam. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah, it is something. But um the the reason I bring this up in relation to your question, Stephanie, is because in the other studies, the outcome is based on you know how many mistakes you're making in the syllables. But in this study, he used a survey that a patient or a scale that measures quality of life. So Mm -hmm. I think what's important to note is that, you know, 4% of, of Mm -hmm. change in disfluencies might seem small, but for something that's lifelong and can have such a big effect on day-to-day and confidence, like that can be a huge difference. And it, it just reminded me, I took a course my first year um, or second year of grad school about different neurodegenerative diseases. And one of them, uh, is a a speech production issue. So they tried this type of speech therapy. And I remember when we had our class discussion on this paper, everyone was ripping it because they were like, this, it's not even that much better. And it's probably just because they're getting socialized and, like they feel happier and that's why the effects oh, are. How dare they? And our professor was like, there might not be a cure, but like these people still have to live their lives. Like yeah. this, these differences in quality of life and how confident a person is when they're just speaking, like this matters. So, you know, we're not there yet. Like Vanessa said, there's still a lot to be learned and a lot of weights to go in the treatment. But um even 
you know, Lionel Logue singing and dancing, like if that enabled the king to, you know, get on the radio, I think that is notable. Yeah. And he never, I think it's, yeah. In talking about quality of life, like Lionel never um, cured him Mm -hmm. or like he was never, George was never cured. Um, He, you know, he had a stutter. I'm pretty sure I haven't read anything else for the remainder of his life. Um, and you can hear some of that in his speeches. It's not perfect, but um, he was able able to do those speeches and and probably gain confidence each time. So he didn't have to like absolutely dread every time he had to get on the radio or get up and talk in front of, in front of people. So mm-hmm. um, definitely, quality of life is an important thing. Yeah, I mean, this is like totally subjective of my understanding of it, but just watching him when he can't get this, I think you called it uh, blocking, Riley, Mm -hmm. like when he just cannot speak to me, that would be the worst. Yes. Mm -hmm. And if there would be a way, even if like the stutter's not removed, like just like a medication to like overcome that or a treatment to even get that a little bit better, I would, I would think it's worth it because that was just painful. I mean, Colin Firth does it. He, his acting is so good because I was like, Ooh. you feel for him. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah. It's pain. You're, you're kind of like, you're like, come on, like you can do it. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I had seen the movie when it originally came out, um, but I had forgot how good it was. I enjoyed it. I loved um, it. it I know my boyfriend happy. thought it was hilarious. I don't know if it's, <laughs> it's just supposed funny. to be funny. Well, I mean, some parts are funny. Like when some you swear, parts are funny. When he yeah, swears. The- yeah, the, that's that, yeah, that that part is fine. Like it, it kind of lightens the mood. And yeah, that is serious and depressing, um, and I think that's probably what Lionel was trying to do in those sessions. Was all the other doctors was probably like really traumatic, and he was trying to oh, make yeah. it so it's like it's not that serious. Like, so yeah, Riley, that's like the th- he was like a theater teacher almost. Yeah, yeah. you know, like he's just helping him perform, and that's actually one of his patients. Like everyone in this documentary I watched is like, oh, Logue was amazing. You changed my life. And this guy was like, you didn't help me. He was like, it was, I'm not a performer. He was like, I would go in there and read Hamlet. And then I leave and I'm in a normal conversation about the weather. I can't talk. So like, I think that's valid, but for someone in George's position where it like kind of is a performance. um, Right. I think that's super helpful. Yeah. <laughs> is the yeah. monarchy, but a performance really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think actually in the movie, King George V says that with like the advent of radio and television now, like they've been like, just sort of like demoted to actors. Exactly what he said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That's funny. Yeah. Good. Point. And now, I, now I, they should get on TikTok. Tell Prince William to, <laughs> oh my God. to get savvy. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I want to see him do some dances. Oh, I want gosh. to see Louis on there, Prince Louis. Oh, he he would be great at TikTok. Oh okay. my god, yes! I mean, he invented the selfie with the Hall of Mirrors. You know, like <laughs> yeah, a Versailles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I love. I absolutely love Versailles. One of my favorite places. I, oh, I would love to go. Yeah, I have not been. No, no, it's never a tangent. It's, um, we love it all. Yeah, it's on my list of places. To I go think you guys sure. could do uh you could do a podcast like maybe about like narcissism and neuro the neuroscience of narcissism and <laughs> we did. Well we oh you did we, we did a series, blog? a blog series oh, on Napoleon. I can't what we've turned into I that. know. So look out for that. But maybe um 
Oh yeah, no, I don't know. Would would Versailles too? Would Louis be like a shopaholic? <laughs> the modern term. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you have to study. Like, you'd have to study me then. <laughs> I don't see any gold on the wall behind you. Yeah, well, that's so funny. I also noticed something pretty interesting. There was like a bit of like parallels parallelism between Lionel Logue and Birdie, like because they both sort of have like imposter syndrome. Okay, mm-hmm. Birdie has it with you know being king, but Lionel is um he's a struggling actor, like we see in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then we find out he's not a real doctor. I thought that was like a interesting narrative. They sort of made the movie have like a nice cohesiveness to it. See, that's yeah. the deep stuff that we brought you in for the, the movie you. expert. <laughs> yeah. I was just like, hey, this is funny. They're saying a thousand times. Ha, ha, ha. But Whoa. oh, sorry. Oh, boy. <laughs> she said she was going to censor herself because I we had a did. guest today. And oh, boy. I mean, I, I'm not offended. I watched the movie. Oh, um, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> We're all grown ups here. Our first F bomb on Uneasy Lies the Ground. Was it? <laughs> yeah, it was probably our first. We said some other stuff, but. Yeah, yeah, it's getting real raunchy. We'll have to put a, a warning in our intro. Yeah, for Vanessa all the kids on, who are interested Vanessa. in the King's speech. Yeah, <laughs> Vanessa comes on and we have to make this a rated R. So thanks a lot, Vanessa. Well, Vanessa, effect. thanks. Yes, thanks for joining us. Everyone, Thank check out so Neuroscience Theater. I'm going to be checking out it now um, that I know about this great sci-fi stuff. And I'm going to be probably watching some of those movies I had seen Prey. Um, so definitely check that out, but are you at neuroscience theater on all platforms or where can, how can people find you? Uh, I have neurosciencetheater.com. That's perfect. Best domain out there. Um, and it links to everything, but I'm neuroscience theater on most things. The only thing is on, on Twitter. I'm neurosci theater. Just mm, okay. Um, yes, I see that. And, you know, just go to the website yeah. and you can find them. Yeah. All. Yeah, love well, it and we will link us. to her stuff yeah. um and we'll also link to some of our key sources um on our website if you want to learn more about any of the topics we covered today yeah especially Sweet. some of the documentaries which are worth checking out yes all right yeah and then i'm gonna also i'm gonna also make some content so this is the listeners can come follow up more. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Prince William will be taking notes on her TikToks, ladies and gentlemen. Amazing. Oh, that would be amazing. Exactly. <laughs> and I will also be taking notes because I don't have a TikTok and I don't know how to use it. So I need to. Well, I'm happy to. I need to rip off the yeah. Band-Aid. I'm happy to be your Lionel Logue for TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. Well, thanks for joining us, Vanessa. All right. Thank you. Bye. Right. Bye. Bye. Uneasy Lies the Crown is researched and recorded by Stephanie Bannon and Riley Bannon. Editing by Thomas Catanacci. Theme music by Jared Cunningham and artwork by Jackson Roy.